Hello, everybody. Welcome into the Games Are Fun podcast, the weekly video game podcast that discusses video game news stories, the biggest topics in the industry, and general games discussion. My name is Adam Beagle. I'm your host this week while Luke is on vacation. Joining me today is my brother, Stephen. Stephen, how's it going? It's going pretty well. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Good. Uh, today's show, we're going to be going over the latest PlayStation 5 news, as well as discussing Hype Vember and my review of newly released platformer slash RPG Indivisible. Uh, real quick before we get to all that, just a quick reminder for the listeners that the podcast airs every Tuesday. It's available on all major podcast services such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If you guys could just leave a quick like or review, uh, it would really go a long way, uh, so we'd appreciate that. Um, so real quick, uh, Stephen, with you being new to the show, just to give the listeners a little bit of background on yourself, um, just some questions that we like to ask uh, newcomers to the show. Um, I know we've lived in, in the same house for a while, being brothers, so I kind of know the answers to these, but for those that uh, don't know you, uh, give us a little bit of a, your background uh, with gaming, where you started, and, and kind of where you're at now. Sure. Uh, you know, the first console that we ever owned was the Nintendo Entertainment System, the regular Nintendo. i uh, been playing it ever since. We're talking probably <clears throat> uh, 30... 30 to 33 years of my 36-year lifespan has been devoted to gaming. Um, I'm kind of a non-professional expert, I guess you could say. Uh, and pretty much every console since, from, uh, from Nintendo, even the Sega Genesis, PlayStation, uh, all the way up to the current PlayStation 4. Uh, I've even had Xboxes cross my path before, too, so kind of... Uh, and all around and of course pc do a lot of pc gaming as well yeah pc is kind of a kind of not something that we talk too much here on the show um since luke and i aren't big pc gamers so um you know always nice having someone with that kind of kind of background in there um how about uh, maybe some of your your favorite moments in in video games whether it's games you've played or just uh you know general games What's some of your favorite moments? Well, absolutely. So, uh, pretty much all of Final Fantasy VI, which is my all-time favorite game. Uh, one of the best moments from that is uh, the transition from the world of balance to the world of ruin. Uh, you know, Kefka getting his way and finally, you know, just wiping out populations, and you waking up and and uh, saving your uncle Sid. That's uh, got to be one of my favorites. And I think uh, in more recent terms, I'm going to bring it into uh, No Man's Sky <clears throat> and just watching the progression of that game over the years from its release that was, you know, a lot of people uh, weren't big on, but watching it evolve with the next update and now again with the Beyond update, just watching how that real-time progression happens with games these days is definitely one of my favorite favorite moments for sure. Um but yeah, that, I think that about covers those. <clears throat> so, um, again, no surprise to me that Final Fantasy VI, your favorite game of all time. Uh, do you have a maybe a runner-up you'd like to give a mention to? Oh, boy. Um, usually the top dogs just dominate my life. I'd have to <laughs> say that my runner-up is probably going to be... Um, probably getting into something like Skyrim. Um mm-hmm. Or even just the Elder Scrolls series in general. But Oblivion and Skyrim had a big time effect on my gaming going forward because it really introduced that open worldness. Um, 
to me as a gamer. I know that there's been other stuff out there before, but those games and getting into the open world and the ability to really track whatever path that you want to uh, really adjusted how I look at games and which games I end up playing playing now just because of that open world ability and the capability of being whatever, wherever, and however you want to. All right. Now, what about favorite console? Ooh, uh, PS4. PlayStation 4 has definitely done it for me. Um, there's been a lot of good ones previous previous to it, but with the um, with the ability to get onto the PlayStation Store, get almost anything that I've ever played in the past on a PlayStation, plus all the new stuff that was coming for the PlayStation, the Spider-Man game, um, Skyrim, like I mentioned, being able to get those those ones and seeing, again, just the evolution of the industry and that kind of being the pinnacle for so many years uh, really has taken it taken a, the top seat for me as console. Impressive. Leapfrogging all the, the golden classics like the original PlayStation and Super Nintendo. Yeah, they, right. they were good. You know, the libraries on those are, are fantastic. And, you know, now with the Super Nintendo being on Switch <laughs> and the Nintendo being on Switch... Um, I think the PlayStation, though, as a as a uh, as a system, has influenced my gaming over the years more than anything else, even the, even over PC gaming. Yeah, that's fair. All right, so let's jump into our uh, main content of the episode. So, uh, what we have here is the um, Wired's article uh, by Peter Rubin uh, discussing the deeper look at PlayStation Five. Uh, so. Wired broke the first big PlayStation news earlier this year, back in April, uh, discussing some of the, the big improvements that were coming, the solid-state drive, the upgraded graphics with ray tracing, um, you know, that sort of stuff. So now there's a little bit more information coming out, um, so we're going we're gonna to talk about that here. I'm going to read a little bit through the article. Um, I'll try and paraphrase where I can. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but... Um, so let's get to it. So... Uh, Peter writes, ever since the original PlayStation hit the market in 1994, Sony's series of video games consoles has stuck to the numbers. No Super, no Max, no Code Red Extreme, just PlayStations 2, 3, and 4. With such unwavering consistency, the name of the next iteration has been a question only in the most technical sense. But Sony Interactive Entertainment CEO Jim Ryan is still ready to answer it. The console, he tells me, will be called PlayStation 5. It's nice to be able to say it, he says, like a giant burden has been lifted from my shoulders. So there you go. PlayStation 5, Holidays 2020. Sony hasn't said too much about the console since April when Wired broke the story about development efforts on what was then known only as the next-gen console. In fact, the company hasn't said anything. Sony skipped game show E3 this year, a void during which Microsoft unveiled details about its own next-gen console, a successor to the Xbox One referred to only as Project Scarlet. Like the PS5, Scarlet was, will boast a CPU based on AMD's Ryzen line and a GPU based on its Navi family, like the PS5. It will ditch the spinning hard drive for a solid-state drive. Now, though, in a conference room at Sony's U.S. headquarters, Ryan and system architect Mark Cerny are eager to share specifics. Before they do, Cerny wants to clarify something. When we last discussed the forthcoming console, he spoke about its ability to support ray tracing, a technique that can enable complex lighting and sound effects in 3D environments. Um, I'm actually going to skip that stuff there because that was kind of already covered. Uh, some talk about the SSD and their Spider-Man 
uh, demo that they did with the SSD. Uh, so let me just find the the new stuff. And on that on that uh, stuff that's already been released, you know, uh, graphics updates are a given. You know, so like it's just a matter of of how powerful is it going to be. And by the sounds of it, with both of these next-gen systems, we're just going to be looking at some really nice-looking games. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, so, let's see. Uh, so, the big thing coming out of this is the controller. Uh, so, they wanted to discuss the features. Um, one is the adaptive triggers. Uh, so, the adaptive triggers can offer varying levels of resistance to make shooting a bow and arrow feel like the real thing. The tension increasing as you pull the arrow back or make a machine gun feel far different from a shotgun. It also boasts haptic feedback, far more capable than the rumble motor console gamers are used to, with highly programmable voice coil actuators located in the left and right grips of the controller. Okay. <laughs> uh, combined with an improvised speaker on the controller, the haptics can enable some astonishing effects. First, I played through a series of short demos courtesy of the same Japan studio team that designed PlayStation VR's Astro Bot Rescue Mission. And the most impressive, I ran a character through a platform level featuring a number of different surfaces, all of which gave distinct and surprisingly immersive tactile experiences. Sand felt slow and sloggy, mud felt slow and soggy. On ice, a high frequency response made the thumbsticks really feel like my character was gliding. Jumping into a pool, I got a sense of the resistance of the water. On a wooden bridge, a bouncy sensation. Next, a version of Gran Turismo Sport that Sony had ported over to a PS5 dev kit. A dev kit that, on quick glance, looks a lot like the one Gizmodo reported on last week. Um, So you can check Gizmodo out for for that. Um, Driving on the border between the track and the dirt, I could feel both surfaces. Doing the same thing on the, the same track using a DualShock 4 and a PS4, that sensation disappeared entirely. It wasn't that, that the old-style rumble feedback paled in comparison, it was that there was no feedback at all. User tests found that rumble feedback was too tiring to use continuously, so the released version of GT Sport simply didn't use it. Uh, that difference has been a long time coming. Uh, let's see, so uh, I'm actually going to skip a little bit more here. Next-gen controller uses a USB Type-C connector for charging, as well it should. Um, It's larger capacity battery, thank God. (laughs) And haptics motors make the new controller a bit heavier than the DualShock 4. Uh, But Aoki says it will still come a bit lighter than the current Xbox controller with batteries in it. Um, So let's see. Let's see if there's anything else major in here worth mentioning um that was that was kind of the big thing was the controller um they did touch a little bit more on just to kind of remind people about the um the ssd and the improved graphics and ray tracing and sound and all that so uh steven give me your thoughts so the the controller uh with the the adaptive triggers and haptic feedback um you know that highly reactive feedback is definitely going to give a new feel to games um, I know that it it is pretty tiring to just sit there and just get a full-blown controller rumble whenever you're playing things. Uh, almost annoying in some cases. Um, so not only is it kind of giving the... Um, not only are we going to get the visual and the audio experience, uh, an upgrade with that, but also that, uh, but that sensation upgrade also is going to be pretty nice. 
Um, I think ultimately, kind of what I'm think what I'm thinking with this is that it seems really annoying that we're going to have this type of feature built into it, where my triggers are going to change how easy it is to to click them and things like that. But deep down, I know that this is going to add much more to the immersion of a game, which is something that really draws me in on a game is how immersive is it with its with its environment, with its music. Uh, uh, and things like that. So, like, the, having that is going to be pretty nice. I know you have some thoughts on it, too. Yeah, so um, my concerns are, you know, we kind of saw this happening with the Nintendo Switch Joy-Cons as well. Nintendo came out, you know, uh, just a couple months before the release of the console and talked about how great the Joy-Cons were going to be, you know, all the way down to you could feel how many cubes of ice were, were in a cup. And um, it sounded great at the time, but, you know, in, in practice, it just didn't really... Uh, I, don't, I don't think anybody really cares at this point. Um, the the rumble is kind of one of those things where in a lot of games I might turn it off because it just it doesn't feel right and it doesn't feel like it matches the experience I'm having in the game. Um, so that's, that's probably my biggest concern with it. The other one being uh, price. So uh, with the Joy-Cons, you know, we know there's a ton of tech in those, the HD rumble, you know, there's some other things, IR sensors, stuff like that. Um, but I mean, there's, if you want to buy a pair of Joy-Con, you're looking at 80 bucks. So what's the price point of this controller going to be? You know, so if you need to re replace your controller for whatever reason, like what kind of price tag are we looking at? And how deep is that going to hurt your wallet? Um, not only that, but if it's being packaged in with the console, um, how much is that going to affect the price of the console? You know, that might make it harder for somebody to get the console because this newfangled controller with a bunch of tech they maybe don't necessarily want is is driving the price up and that's that's a your your concern on price is definitely well warranted <clears throat> as a gamer and a parent of two young gamers <laughs> who have already destroyed and almost destroyed three of my dualshock 4 controllers and that's no price price tag the bulk at either um you know the, these uh, this extra cost on a controller like how how much more am i going to have to protect those controllers from you know the the apparent destruction that's going to almost come along with it compared to compared to now am i going to have to put these things in a vault you know like kind of really protecting protecting them from from uh, from harm is going to be a main concern with these with these uh, controllers and kids kids are a good example but uh let's not forget the angry gamer and all of us too i mean i was telling luke a couple episodes back um you know one of my most frustrating moments in video games and my response was uh a moment i had in bloodborne where i got so mad at one of the one of, it was the next to last boss the next to last step in uh getting my platinum for the game and <clears throat> I just kept dying to this boss, and it was the first time in the game I really felt cheated, and I just got so mad that I, I slammed my controller against the ground, and then I just kind of chucked it across the room, and um, it was still functional, but the casing popped off a bit, and it wasn't comfortable to hold or use, um, so I ended up having to get rid of it, and so it's moments like that in video games that, you know, again, who knows how much this controller is going to be when angry gamer comes out of any one of us at any time, you know, that's... That's a you know it was it was an expensive enough replacing the DualShock Four, um, but this new controller I mean I can only imagine what what it's going to cost to replace something like that. Definitely, 
Definitely, definitely. Yeah, Black Ops, Black Ops Two. One day, I remember smashing my controller. Like <laughs> I didn't break it the whole way. Yeah. Um, I still have it, have it working. But um, yeah, I, I definitely feel you on that angry gamer moment. Too. Yeah, and I mean, it's not like that's the only controller I've broken either. Like I've broken in uh, Xbox 360 controller. I've broken probably more Super Nintendo controllers than I could count. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, it's it, it can happen on any system. It's not just playstation but you know that's definitely something to to be mindful of you know mm-hmm. you're gonna need a therapist on 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 call just so that you don't break your controller <laughs> right. um so uh yeah um you have some more thoughts on yeah the one thing that you didn't touch on through your reading but i believe was in the article was the custom installation piece okay yeah, right? yeah i did i did miss that yep. yeah but I mean, uh, custom installation comes as it. Uh, yeah, hitting the article up for it isn't too bad. But you know the um, that I think of all the features because your your solid state drive, faster load times. You know, I grew up in the load time era. I I've lived with it. It's whatever. Like yeah, cool that they're washing it out. But I think the custom installation piece that they have in there, uh, where I'm going to be able to. Uh, customize how my games are installed or even how those games are removed off my hard drive or off my my, my drive is really kind of a big deal for me. Um, and I'll cite games like Call of Duty and Battlefront 2 um, who have campaigns, but I've never played them or I played five minutes of the Battlefront 2 campaign and hated it, so I immediately never went to it again. So being able to kind of customize that install where I can say, okay, I don't need the campaign. I just want to get straight into deathmatch. That's a, that's a really cool feature that I'm, I'm excited for. Yeah. Those are definitely prime examples of that. And I think that's something that is going to resonate with a lot of gamers. Um, and then on the flip side of that, you had, uh, uncharted four, which had obviously the single player game. And then there was a multiplayer experience and there was one that, you know, I spent maybe a couple hours on, but you know, that's not you know why people why most people are buying the game they mm-hmm. want that that really um great storytelling of the campaign so you know on the flip side a game like that you could maybe just remove the multiplayer if you didn't want that so definitely a cool feature i'm i'm really excited about that and then uh playstation 4 kind of had with some games where you could begin the installation for the single player campaign um you know and then this way you could get into that and play the campaign while multiplayer is downloading in the background. And then this lets you kind of reverse that order if you want. You want to play multiplayer first. And, you know, maybe you do still want to play the campaign, but just not right away. So you can prioritize that secondly. And, yeah, so it's definitely cool the way they're giving players, uh, you know, a choice in the matter. And I think expansion games, too. Um, mm-hmm. Something where they had expansions come out. You know, you're kind of coming in late. Expansions have already come out. You don't want to download the core game plus all the expansions because you're not there yet in the story. Mm-hmm. I think being able to say, okay, first give me the first part, you know, year one. Then give me the year two expansion and so on and so forth. So you don't have to sit there and wait eight hours for, you know, the entire thing to download. <clears throat> even though you're um, you're not quite there on the uh, on that, on that uh, expansion stuff yet. Yep, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really, really handy feature. Uh, any other thoughts you had there? So another thing uh, that was mentioned that um, the uh, that was mentioned in the article was a instance of machine learning. And if you don't have any idea on what this is, 
Um, what machine learning is, is is using algorithms, or which is pretty much a fancy word for math equations, to have a computer program learn and predict certain outcomes for whatever it is that they're using it for. It's, it's kind of the base for AI. Um, so this is it, it's kind of the beginnings of that. And in the article, they mention uh, Chief Studio Officer for EA. I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this name, Laura Meal, M I E L E. For those of you paying attention at home, and she basically mentions this machine learning aspect for their games, and how the GPU powering this is gonna give the system the ability to have this machine learning feature on it. Now. With, with all the information that's out there, there's there's a lot of speculation on what it's actually going to be doing for us. So the questions that I have for it is, is this going to make AI smarter in our games? Is it going to make them able to adapt to how we play and what our, what our movements are, what our strategies are, um, even whatever choices we end up making through quest lines? <clears throat> is the game going to start being able to adapt for us? and kind of make it smarter and maybe even a little bit more difficult as we progress through these things. Um, <clears throat> I mentioned to you before about Madden, even something as simple as a Madden football game, you know, uh, the computer being able to uh, predict pattern or predict from your patterns of play what defenses to put up against you or what offenses to put up against you to be more effective against you. So does all pro in Madden get even tougher than what it already is now? Mm. You know, so this, uh, or, or bosses like your, um, your Bloodborns or your Soul Games, you know, <laughs> how much harder are they going to start getting if they're able to begin to adapt based off of what you've done on previous bosses? Just what we need, a harder Souls game. Yeah, right? <laughs> Ready to get some more Rage, rage Gamers, yep. you know? Watch them controllers, everybody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's, I think that was one thing that came up that was really um, another one of those features that is hinted at, not really developed in the discussion a little bit, but something that adds in just a little bit more excitement for the PS5 and and its capabilities as a game system. Yeah, not only that, but another good example mm -hmm. would be um, think it kind of bringing back offline um, multiplayer modes and, and shooters, if if you will. So, I mean, back in the day before online multiplayer was a big thing, uh, me and uh, maybe you, and then of course our friend Justin. We would play the um, the original Killzone game, mm -hmm. and we would get into you know most people probably played that as like competitive multiplayer, just fighting each other. Uh, me and Justin, we would we would team up and we'd put as many bots as we could in the match, and we'd put them on the hardest setting, and then we'd just go around killing bots. Mm -hmm. So now you kind of take that experience for those that maybe don't like playing online with other people, and you put in adaptive bots that can. Kind of, uh, kind of be managed a little bit better than you could with just basic AI settings. So. Yeah, kind of change their pathing, change the loadouts that they come at you with. Yeah. You know, really have this uh, this this adaptive computer that almost at times seems like it's getting smarter than you. And as much as we all fear that, or at least I do, <clears throat> um, I think it's really cool whenever it comes to the games is. Now it's not going to be a pushover anymore. I'm going to have a little bit of resistance as I start going through this, even on some of the harder settings that don't seem harder. Maybe we'll start seeing seeing some resistance from the computer a bit more. Yeah. But yeah. All right. What else you got? 
Um, I think that about does it for the PS5 stuff. I mean, other than the hype that it's coming out, my biggest thing is I'm ready to hear price tag. I know yeah. that there's already been some rumors floating around the net about uh, the price that we were initially kind of looking at, which was a $1,000 mark, oh. is reducing. Uh, but nobody has really said what that reduction is going to end up being. So I'd really love to see price tag, and I'm ready to see the lineup for release. Mm. Um, is it going to be the Elder Scrolls, uh, the new Elder Scrolls game? Are we going to see a Final Fantasy remake come for the PS5, or is that just going to stick to the PS4? Um, I'm ready to see that kind of stuff. What are we What are we looking at library wise? So as far as the the price tag goes, because I know this is you know this is the thing that's going to be the barrier to entry for a lot of people. What's uh, to you? What What do you think would be the the price point that would get you into the console, and, and maybe um, you know where do you draw the line? So looking at the feature set, I know what we're dealing with. Um, you know the the CPU and graphics cards are not cheap at all, and so, as solid states have dropped in price, they're still not cheap either. Um, I think my and as you mentioned, the controller, I think my cutoff is probably going to be around 650 mm. because if I'm going to get the console for 650 I'm going to get a game. I want to make sure that I can get that. So having a total price tag after everything with a controller, maybe a package game and the console along with a non-package game, I want to stick around like the 700 to 725 mark for the total total bundle. So I'm kind of hoping to see something like that with it. Yeah. How about you? Uh, I'm thinking just a little bit less than that. Um, I, I really like to see it not go any higher than 600. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of all those things that you mentioned, um, you know, getting games to go along with it. You know, what kind of titles are we going to see um, to to be there alongside the launch of the the system? Um, you know, you're going to have people that are going to need to have additional controllers for family members, friends, whatever uh, that want to play along. So. Um, you know, going much higher than 600, I think it's going to keep some people out of picking it up. And that's exactly what happened with the PS3 when that launched. Um, I think they had, a, I believe it was a $600 price tag on that. And then you had Xbox 360, on the other hand, that was, uh, you know, maybe $100 less, if not, you know, more than that. So, you know, they got to think about what the competition is going to price it. Like, what's Scarlet going to come out at? So they need to kind of think about that. And, and price accordingly. So yeah, that's uh, you know the the PS3 versus Xbox 360 time frame. That was Blu-ray player versus non-Blu-ray player. So I think that had a big effect on how the pricing was going with those. Yeah. Here we're gonna have very uh, almost standard standard uh, equipment for the time. Everybody's kind of getting the same thing put into their systems. But you're right. You know, Xbox, are they going to come out with their Scarlet and it's going to be at a, is it going to be at $150 less than what the PlayStation is? Because historically, Xbox tends to be cheaper than what PlayStation does. So that's a, that's a good thought. I wonder how they're going to hit. And the article tells us that, you know, the information that we have on Scarlet, they're using a lot of the same uh, or comparative components uh, that the PlayStation 5 is going to be using. So uh, with there being so many similarities, you know, it might come down to, um, you know, which company is willing to, to eat uh, more of the more of the cost of the system to get it in more hands to, to the public. So yep. um, that might be something to, to think about as well. And then let's not forget the Stadia still floating around out there. That's true. Yep. You know, um, who the, is boasting the same type of features that we're looking here yeah. um, with their one controller system. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's and gonna be interesting to see how it all unfolds. Yeah, in a lot of cases you 
probably don't even need to buy anything extra aside from maybe a, a controller compatible. Even then, if you have an Xbox One or a PS4, you technically already have a controller too. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's a lot to be considered there when when thinking about Stadia. So, yeah. um, one one thing that we did talk about, you found an interesting poll from right. IGN. So, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so IGN ran a poll after the uh, specs were all released for the PS5, basically asking the IGN crowd, "What feature are you most excited for?" And the poll got blasted by backwards compatibility <laughs> people. You know, give me the PS5 because I can play my PS4 games on it. Like, okay, you're you're essentially buying a brand new system just to play your old games. Congratulations. You know, not to mention the fact that you have your online libraries that you can go and get these things anyhow. <clears throat> you know, so it's... Uh, and if you're really, really hardcore about it, you already have a hard drive with those games installed hooked up to your PlayStation 4 that you're just going to have to USB port right into your 5. So... The backwards compatibility thing, uh, you're cheating yourself, I think. Um, definitely need to dig in a little bit more into those those different features that are coming around with this. The custom install, for one, is, is going to be huge. <clears throat> yeah, and yeah, I, I think that's kind of silly, too. I mean, the only thing I could see backwards compatibility, compatibility really being the driving thing is uh, the fact that maybe people are going to have to be trading in their consoles to get the new ones. So they still want to be able to play their old games if they have the physical versions. Mm-hmm. So I kind of get that. But at the same time, um, if you're going all in on the new system, then then maybe that should be kind of an afterthought. Or maybe you just need to keep your, your PS4. Right. Um, for me, I, I think, I'm, and we kind of talked about this, I'm, I'm most looking forward to the solid state drive. Yeah. Um, I think the having instant load times, um, you know, being able to open up an entire world, travel at any any pace throughout that world, and have it be able to keep up, no, you know, keeping down those lag times and uh, you know frame stutters and things like that. Um, I think that's you know what I'm most looking forward to, or like super quick installs, um, you know, because <clears throat> we have been dealing with that stuff for a long time, and yeah, I could maybe live with that for a little bit longer, but you know, again, Stadia is coming out. There's going to be zero load times with that, zero updates, zero downloads you have to do. So in competing with that and knowing that that's kind of the new reality going forward, <clears throat> I think the tolerance for load times um, is going to dwindle quickly. So I'm glad that that's yeah. going out the window. I have an angry gamer at home. My, you know, <laughs> you know Bubba. He, he can get upset. And load times are not his favorite thing in the mm-hmm. world. So he's definitely going to agree with you that having no load times in his games, because he's a big Spider-Man player, loves swinging through the city, but he hates that he's got to hit that load screen every once in a while, and it, he loses interest very quickly almost with, with those load screens. So he's going to be with you on that. Getting rid of that load time is definitely going to be a big deal. And along with the SSD, um, you're eliminating your, your duping of particular files, Mm-hmm. Uh, which means that your game developers mm-hmm. are going to be able to fit more game on a disc compared to what they're able to now. So we're looking at massive expansions. How big is this Elder Scrolls game going to be now? Because we don't have to dupe out a whole bunch of different texture packs or something like that for particular areas. You're now going to have the ability to to basically blow these games' environments uh, into a much bigger scape, which is... Uh, uh, you know, just really, it, I think it's going to be really impressive. So definitely a good feature to be excited for. <clears throat> yep. I'm definitely looking forward to finding out more about the PS5. Um, 
kind of curious to see if they're just going to keep doling out these these small information tidbits to Wired or if we're you know going to get some sort of event. Uh, I imagine when they finally do the unveiling of the the actual console and what it looks like, I'm I'm sure that'll be uh, some sort of media event. Um, the question is, are they going to have it? before or during e3 so Mm -hmm. you know how much longer are we gonna have to wait to see what it looks like to see uh what the the price tag is going to look like to see what the library is going to look like but i think that they have a really good shot of just even though they even though they missed e3 last year coming back and again being the top dog if they do make it to the event oh they'll for sure be there this year i'm i'm hoping so i you know (laughs) You know how Nintendo has gone. They've kind of gone more towards that experience with the treehouse as opposed to being a stage presence. Mm -hmm. Um, I like the stage presence, and I hope that they have the experience like the treehouse. So I kind of hope everything kind of guides that way, plus having that stage presence there during the event. Um, Either way, though, uh, because I'm not going to down the treehouses and and their, um, their videos, but, you know, them getting up there with the... uh, with the or with the the hosts getting everybody hyped up, the crowd cheering, seeing the trailers as they drop one after another, I'm ready for that to hit us again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, let's move on to the next topic. Um, I know we're both really looking forward to November or Hype Vember, as uh, we're calling it. <laughs> some great games. So we'll talk about some of the games that are coming out. I know uh, Luke and I kind of touched on uh, a lot of these before, um, but the hype is strong, so. Um, I'm actually going to start with a game that's launching at the very end of October, and that's Luigi's Mansion 3. So October 31st, um, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of people that buy it and manage to beat it the day it comes out, but I think for a lot of casual gamers, the bulk of their gameplay is going to come during November, Um, so I'm including it in this. Uh, Luigi's Mansion 3, I'm super excited for. Um, It's been a long time since they had a full-on Luigi's Mansion game. So this one looks pretty good. Uh, I know a lot of people are don't not sure how they feel about the Gooigi part, but um, I, I think it'll be pretty fun. Yeah, the um, watching some of the most recent trailers, there's a lot of Ghostbusters vibes coming yeah, off of it. Yep. Uh, this is definitely one of those games that um, I'm getting for the air quotes kids. <laughs> um, but it is it is definitely one of my one of my tops for this uh, hype vember for sure. Yep. Uh, next, we have Death Stranding coming out on November eighth. Uh, do you have any any thoughts you want to share on Death Stranding? What is this game? <laughs> what is it? Nobody knows. Kojima doesn't know. Yeah. No. <laughs> that's basically it. Is uh, I know that he's got a new trailer coming out yeah. here pretty soon. Um, he, he put it up on his Twitter. That's the case. I just want to know what are we doing? What is the point? What's the plot? I need to have a little bit more information on it. I I think most of my hype along with this game is just finding out what it's about. Yeah. Um, but uh, as for, my, is it going to be a day one purchase? Probably not. Yeah. Just because I want to see what's going on with it. Is the ty- is it the type of game that I'm going to be uh, that I'm going to be able to get involved with? Right. Yeah. And also the question is, how long is that game going to be too? Because a week later we have uh, some other big games drop in, but. Before those games drop, we have uh, Xbox's XO 2019 event in London, which runs November 14th through the 16th. Uh, they're going to hold a special Inside Xbox event on, on the 14th, uh, which is a Thursday. And it's going to be at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, 12 Pacific, so whatever time zone you're in. So uh, this is where we're going to see a whole bunch of information 
uh, you know, prior to the holidays, some big games coming up. Uh, you know, maybe some information on Scarlet. We'll see how much they want to push the envelope on that. Uh, I'm positive we'll get some information on xCloud and what's going down with that and what, what uh, that's all going to entail because they do have a uh, beta program coming up um, that you're able to sign up for on their website. So, uh, you know, I'm sure, you know, at the very least, we're going to see a whole bunch more top quality games coming to Game Pass. So we can look forward to seeing what those are going to be. I'm really hoping more comes from, because they did their studio acquisition announcement yes. at E3. Um, I'm ready to see some exclusives. Because mm. that's really what's holding me back on Xbox right now, is they just don't have that exclusive library yep. that's drawing me into it. Yeah, Halo's there. I've, I've been a life, basically a lifelong Halo player up until Halo, Halo 4. Um, ODST is one of my favorite games. You know, So like, I'm ready to see what else they have up their sleeve with this studio acquisition. So I'm kind of hoping to see some good info come out during that event. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, and the thing to kind of be, I don't want to say concerned about, but with a lot of those studio acquisitions, um, I, I'm figuring we're going to see mostly a lot of indie games coming out of mm. it, uh, which is fine. I love indie games, um, especially because they pretty much all come to Game Pass, so I can try them out there. Um, but I do want to see some some bigger things coming out of their their main studios as well. Maybe see if those fable rumors are ever going to come true. Mm -hmm. uh, so maybe we'll see some of that. But um, definitely intrigued. I, I really want to know more about XCloud and see how that's going to compete with Stadia. Um, a new fable gets me an Xbox. Let <laughs> me just put that out there right now, Microsoft. A new fable there you go. gets me an Xbox. <laughs> there you go, Microsoft. What are you going to do with that information? <laughs> uh, so that same week, we have uh, two big games coming out the same day, November 15th. We have Pokemon Sword and Shield and Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Um, why don't you give us your thoughts on, on Pokemon since you watched some of that, that stream they did? Yeah, so uh, Pokemon and Nintendo did a 24-hour live stream. Basically treated it like a camera out in the wild. Um, and I was one of, the, one of the, the sorry folk who actually caught a large chunk of it. I think I sat there for maybe <laughs> seven, eight hours just watching this one scene of forest and seeing the Pokemon come in and out, which is pretty exciting. Um, so it's a gallery, it was a Galarian forest, uh, called the Glimwood Tangle. And basically what it all culminated to was the announcement of the Galarian Ponyta, which is a beautiful Pokemon. Um, it's kind of a unicorn-esque. The lore behind it is fantastic. What Nintendo is saying that it's spent so much time in the Glimmerwood that it has been infused with life energies and has basically turned into this rainbow unicorn Pokemon. Um... And the final scene of the of the um, of the live stream was two of these two of these ponytails kind of coming out into the clearing and messing around with one shown in bright colors and went through this kind of rainbow thing, and uh, and then they they left and the and the stream shut down. Um, you know, there's a there's a lot of a lot of comedy that came from this. Uh, some folks were taking that shot and and photoshopping in other pictures digimon were put into it and and all sorts of crazy stuff you have to you have to get on twitter and, and track that down but, leave it to the internet yeah right <laughs> um but uh you know exclusives wise we finally have the list of exclusives for for sword and shield where sword's gonna get the i'm gonna butcher these names uh it's what i do it's my thing i still call the uh the chocobo chocobo so mm -hmm. i'm one of those those folks but We've got the, the Dino, the Jang Mo O, 
and Sir Fetched for Sword. Uh, and then for Shield, the exclusives will be Larvitar. Uh, what do I got here? Is it Goovy? I think it's Goovy. I have terrible handwriting. And the, of course, the Galar Ponyta. So those will be the exclusives for each of those. And we've kind of discussed a little bit what we're going to do about that. Where I'm leaning more towards shield and you tend to be leaning more. Or I'm I'm leaning towards sword and you're tending to lean that way as well. And mostly because of Sir Fetched. Yeah. So. Yeah, I need I need to have Sir Fetched. <laughs> yeah, uh, I wish he was the starter. But, yeah. you know, Sir Fetched is definitely going to be one of those hype, hype mon. But, uh, you know, it'll just be end up, we'll just have to get opposites of each other to make sure we can trade. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, you don't ever really have to completely fear missing out because you can always do trades. I know it can get a little weird and dicey trying to uh, trade with randos over the internet because you don't always know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. So having someone that you know you can set up specific trades with is um, <clears throat> going to help fill out that decks and get the... The Pokemons you want. So. And compared to the red and blue days when you had to have all kinds of accessories to make these trades happen. Yeah, the cables. Yeah, being able to do it now where uh, I think we can be just sitting at home. You know, me yep. at my home and you at yours and we can just shoot them over the web. Yep. Um, that's going to be really cool. I, I'm, I'm ready to see also, I don't know if they've done any sort of announcement. I haven't dug into it much, but if my... Because I know the Pokédex is kind of limited with the Galar region. They're not doing the full-blown thing. Right. I'm wondering if the ones that are in the Galar Pokédex that are also on my Pokémon Go game, if I'm going to be able to bring the Pokémon Go mobile versions and, and put them into my into my uh, my Galar Pokédex. I'm, uh, I'm excited to see if that's going to be a thing. It's not a big deal because uh, mm. the game itself looks awesome, and I'm really anxious to see the... Uh, the that hyper mode um you have to help me with the name of it i don't know that i recall it either i'm such a terrible podcaster (laughs) uh but basically that hyper mode battle where you're you're powering up your pokemon to make them huge Mm. and red and glowing with energy and they're going to battle against each other i'm really excited to get my hands into that feature as well because i think that's going to be a lot of fun so yeah big hype on that one again one of those air quote for the kids but really (laughs) it's uh it's definitely for daddy. Yeah, it's it's for the kids, but in this case, I'm the kid. Yeah. No, my yeah. kid is too young to appreciate games at, at his age, but it's coming soon. He'll yep. he'll get there. So. Definitely, um, it'll happen fast. Yeah. Now, I'm I'm kind of leaning Pokemon uh, Shield at this point, but I don't know that that's going to be a day one purchase because of this next game that comes out the same day, which is Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Um, this game just looks fantastic. And I gotta say, I love the casting for it. They got uh, Cameron Monaghan from uh, the Shameless series, which I love. He's a great actor. He was also Joker at Gotham. That's, yeah. Yeah, and he was incredible, so. Yeah, so. Very cool casting. I don't think he can do wrong at this point, so. I'm, I'm sure he'll be really great. Um, the game looks fantastic. The, uh, the abilities that you get, the, the combat looks really good, looks really fluid. Uh, the exploration looks like there's a pretty heavy element of exploration in it, which I'm totally down for, visiting planets, kind of open world. Because um, I, I think I recall hearing that if you just do the story missions, you would miss completely out on some of the planets. Yep. So um, that's really cool to me. I'm glad that... I mean, I, I would have loved it even if it was just kind of a linear experience which i think a lot of people were expecting but having a more open gameplay i think is just going to take it to another level mm-hmm. so i'm i'm super excited about that i love playing 
uh, games where you can be the Jedi, you can lightsabers and all the, the fancy stuff that they can do. Um, really, I think the, the last game that let you really do that was probably Force Unleashed mm -hmm. uh, 1 and 2, um, which were both a lot of fun and really made you feel powerful. And um, the, the story in those games, too, was incredible. Yeah. Following, following the story of Starkiller... Uh, that was a that was a blast, and how he interacted with Darth Vader, mm -hmm. how he even got into Darth Vader's tutelage in the first place. You know, you really kind of get those things, and I'm ready to see uh, because this one, lore wise, is falling after Order sixty six, so yep. kind of between between that and the uh, New Hope, um, and I think even a little bit before uh, the Rogue the Rogue uh, movie. Yeah, um, Rogue One. Yeah, Rogue One. Yeah. So. Seeing a little bit more of that time frame uh, expanded in our lore is going to be uh, is going to be awesome. It's gonna yeah, be really good. Yeah, and I think a lot of people get um, kind of a lot of people want to know what happens in that span of time between those movies because it is such a large period of time where there's really not a lot of information. Um, I know the the Clone Wars series does go into that um, pretty extensively, um, and then you know aside from that we have Rogue One. And I think those are really the only canon um, experiences between mm -hmm. those. And I guess the Han Solo movie, but right. I you know that's kind of that's not really tied in. Yeah, it doesn't touch orders. It doesn't touch that moment in time much, Jedi wise. Yeah. Uh, you're getting more on what Han's up to during that during that time frame. So, um, yeah, getting it because you know every single Jedi wasn't taken down during that time. Right. So who are the other Jedi that we're going to run into mm -hmm. um, to add them into the story a little bit more? Uh, how does how does uh, Kyle's character fall into place in this whole thing? Uh, what's his role in the in the post order sixty six uh, um, force user world? Um, it's just going to be cool to see how that all pans out. Great choice of a game. Yeah, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, next on November nineteenth, we have Shenmue three. Uh, so this was announced at E3, I, I want to say 2015. It was the same year Final Fantasy VII Remake was announced. Mm -hmm. So it's been several years. Uh, they ran a Kickstarter for that, and now it's kind of finally coming to fruition. So we've actually seen a lot of games this year, uh, Kickstarted games, finally getting released this year. Um, so it's, it's cool to, to be seeing that come around. Uh, not a game I'm going to pick up. I didn't play the first two, um, although I think they're currently available on Game Pass. So mm -hmm. if you have an xbox you have game pass you want to try them out they're available for you so again you know back catalogs it's it's already a thing <laughs> yeah and we holiday 2019 has only just begun i'm with you yeah. uh and then on uh, november 22nd doom eternal so follow up to uh 2016's doom reboot uh which was really great i played through a lot of that game didn't beat it but i really liked what i played very fast fluid combat um, excellent executions of the monsters and um, just overall Doom goodness. One so, of the first PC games I got into, Doom. Yeah. Um, I haven't played any of the new on the on any of the new ones on the console. I want to again. It's in that log. Uh, I get so focused on all my other games though that it's just mm -hmm. it's tough to tough to get to it. But another hype one for sure. Yeah, and I'm sure there'll be a whole bunch of sweet indie games coming out that month as well. Um, I don't know which games but i'm sure there's going to be be a lot so um and any notable ones i'm sure we'll cover here on the show as well so i think the the only other november release that i mentioned and i know you guys don't really hit up pc too often but as a pc player this is something that um has caught my eye would be planet zoo 
um, kind of taking that you know planet coaster that type of thing, but now bringing it into the world of animals. Um, uh, a couple years back, the um, Jurassic World game was released. Mm. So now instead of being a dinosaur focused type of thing like that one was, this is coming into uh, into the zoo world, and all the current. Uh, gameplay uh, betas are out and people are running them on Twitch and stuff like that. Um, the game looks awesome, very detailed. Down to you can have particular animals that will mingle and mix with each other within their habitat, so you can have them all within the same habitat. Uh, to um, how happy they are, of course, and and just a lot of different things uh, to make sure that you're uh, taking care of the animals properly. That they're in in a good place. You can add certain, you know, add rocks, make a ponds, you know, that sort of thing. So sort of giving you detail with that with that game. Yeah. Um, and as a City Skylines player, um, and a SimCity player, watching what we used to have in simulation games like this, and seeing what it's becoming now, uh, again, it's that 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 extension of these worlds that is really. Uh, and the detail within them, and, and the behaviors, and and things like that of these simulated creatures, uh, you know, we're in for a whirlwind. I think with these with that game for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> Any other uh, hype vember that you want to hype up before we move on? I uh, will give a quick mention to um, Wolfenstein Youngblood. Falls in line with the Doom, and then uh, I think that about does it for November. Um, Darksiders, Genesis, yeah, you know, uh, Darksiders, they kind of lost it for me on the very first game, and mm. I have not been back since, but that's also going to be around, I think, so. All right. Uh, so next up, I'd like to give my review on uh, newly released game Indivisible. Uh, so this was developed by Lab Zero Games and published by 505 Games. It released on PS4, Xbox, and PC uh, this week on October 8th. Um, Really great game. I'm, I'm really enjoying. I'm still enjoying it. I just finished it up uh, last night. So, um, so just to give kind of some uh, my thoughts on the game, some things that I loved, things that I liked, things that I didn't like so much. Um, things that I loved uh, first and foremost is the gameplay. The you know exactly what this game was designed around was the gameplay. So this is a like perfect mashup of Metroid, Shantae, Mega Man. Uh, Breath of Fire 3, uh, specifically out of the Breath of Fire series. Um, the reason I say Metroid and not Metroidvania is that uh, the, the power-up and progression, the movement tech you get, feels more like Metroid than it does Castlevania, where Castlevania is a lot more uh, equipable loot that you pick up, equipable items that you gather, um, whereas this is you're just learning and obtaining these abilities and strengths as you play through uh, there is an upgrade mechanic, but it's it's based on uh, sort of the game's like currency, which is just kind of these red gems kind of strewn about. They're called ringzels, and um, you use these. And there's two NPCs that you go that after you acquire a certain number of them, you're either you have the opportunity to either upgrade your offensive abilities or your defense. Um, so it felt more Metroid than than Castlevania's like kind of just. Gave Metroid the shout out, not the Metroidvania that a lot of people are going to compare it to. But um, because the the Metroid part and to an extent the, the Shantae, um, 
is the backtracking between areas. So as you get your, your movement tech, your abilities, uh, you go back to different areas and then you can explore things that you weren't able to before, find secrets that you weren't able to get to before. Um, and that's gameplay that, that I've enjoyed for a very long time. Favorite game of all time, Super Metroid. Um, so it, it definitely scratched that itch of exploration and um, backtracking, revisiting. Uh, Shantae, I kind of had that just because of the, the, the style of the game and kind of like the overall um, sort of environment design, character design. It's very charming uh, kind of design that they, they did with it. Mega Man, um, I had that in there for like kind of the platforming. Um, some sections really felt very Mega Man-ish. Some, some of the way the bosses um, kind of felt Mega Man-ish. And then Breath of Fire 3, and this was um, sort of... And I don't want to get spoilery, but sort of plot-wise, just little... I felt like there was definitely some uh, inspiration taken. Not that it's like a direct copy or anything, but I could see maybe them getting a little bit inspiration from the Breath of Fire 3 story. And then the character design, because Breath of Fire series, and again, Breath of Fire 3 specifically, I feel like had really great character design, and it just felt like you could almost take those characters out of Breath of Fire 3, put them in, in this game... And they would fit right in. Uh, I love the diversity of characters. The, the way everyone uh, just looks and feels and, and sounds different. Um, and speaking of which, uh, these are all, everything's hand-drawn. All the artwork and animations are, are hand-drawn. Uh, so big kudos for the developers on that for just making a, a very beautiful game. Uh, the music was really good. Um, you know, everything fit very tonally in with what was happening in the game. Um, it's not the best soundtrack of all time, but it was definitely something that I loved and I thought was, was really great. Um, the story was good. Like I said, um, you know, maybe got some inspiration from some other games. It's, at least in the very start of the game, it does feel very tropey. Um, it, it kind of gets away from that a little bit and, uh, it is a very charming story. The, the, the writing is fantastic, um, because it, it, it's funny. There's a lot of wit in the character dialogue. Um, a lot of it's voice acted too, and they got they did a bang up job with the voice actors. A um, couple shout outs: Michael Dorn, one of the characters, War from Star Trek. Uh, Matt Mercer, um, he does voices in a ton of games. And um, Stephen, I know you're a big fan of him. He does have a uh, a voice act. Uh, role in the game that's awesome uh just having those two in it almost makes me want to play <laughs> you know. yeah they did they did a great job and then the uh the main character ajna um not i don't think it's any big name person or i didn't recognize the name um she may have voice acted in other games but she did a fantastic job um she was just kind of adorable uh the whole way through but also very hot-headed stubborn um and just the way she interacted with the other characters was just, it was always funny. Um, there were a couple of heartfelt moments, but um, overall she was just a very enjoyable character to follow. So I enjoyed that. Uh, the balance of the platforming and the RPG elements were, um, were really, really well done. Um, you know, just as you would kind of go through uh, some platforming sections, some of them were very platformy. Not a lot of encounters, but throughout most of the game, you're kind of getting a nice blend of both. You're doing some platforming, you're getting through um, some some neat little, um, I guess, not, I don't want to say puzzles, but sort of you kind of have to 
figure your way through a little bit, um, but just kind of combining those two and making it rather seamless. I mean, uh, the enemies, you can see them out on the field as you're doing your, your platforming and, you know, you kind of run into them or you can initiate an, an attack and your party just kind of joins you right there and it zooms in and it's exactly where you ran into the enemy or exactly where you initiated that combat. So it's not like it there's some sort of transition scene and you have your kind of generic background for whatever stage you're in. Um, it's, it's all right where the combat was initiated, um, which for better or worse, because there are some cases where I initiated combat and the, <clears throat> one of my, my main character, because of the way they kind of fan out when the battle starts, fell off a cliff. So then I maybe had to do some climbing sections over again. Um, to the point where some enemies were almost not fightable because either I would fall off a cliff and it would disengage combat or the enemy would fall off the cliff and disengage combat. So there were some enemies that I just had to outright avoid because it was just a pain trying to actually complete that battle. So um, leveling up felt a little arbitrary. Uh, there is experience points in this, but it didn't seem like it did a whole lot since those ring soul pickups that you, that you get is really what you use to upgrade your offensive and defensive capabilities. So leveling up is kind of didn't feel super necessary aside from, I guess, giving you more HP. Um, but still cool that it's there. Who doesn't like experience it? Still felt like there was a reason to fight the enemies and not just skip them over. So um, things that I didn't really like so much, uh, for one, was the map. Now, it did get patched. It's a little bit better now. Uh, but some of my complaints were you you open up the map and there's a legend that tells you where the story quest marker is, where uh, side quest markers are. And when I would pull up the map, none of it showed. So at launch, the map was completely useless aside from telling you where you were at and showing the areas you've already explored. <clears throat> uh, but they did patch it, which made it a little bit better, but it still definitely needs some work because there's still markers that aren't showing up um, and some that just se seem entirely inaccurate. Like it tells me to go to a spot and there's nothing there. Um, uh, also, there's kind of a lack of fast travel. Um, again, don't want to get too spoilery, but there is some fast travel you can do later on, but it's extremely limited. And um, these areas, while they're gorgeous, they're fun to explore, uh, there does get to a point in the game where it's like, okay, I just want to get to this area. It's clear across the map from where where I came in. And it uh, just would have been nice if there was a little bit more um, options to help you get through that backtracking a little bit faster. Um, there were a couple glitches. Um, they were pretty mild, I would say. Usually just kind of some graphical stuff, some loading in. Uh, some of the environments and it mostly happened there's uh, transition areas where uh, different worlds kind of come together so you're in like think like the in Metroid you have those doors that kind of bridge or elevators that kind of bridge uh, where you're at to the next screen or the next world or whatever and uh, so it's kind of like that it's just really short places where you're just kind of doing basic wall jumps or dashing to get through to the next to the adjacent world and uh, there were a decent number of glitches that happened in those areas um, almost like they felt like a little bit of an afterthought and it might be because of the sort of limited fast travel system that was implemented that maybe they didn't 
do as much quality control in those zones, but I did notice a lot of slowdown, some glitching. Uh, one point I fell through the floor and I got stuck. I got soft locked. I had to reset. Thankfully, I just saved, so it wasn't a big deal, but um, just little stuff like that. So, um, again, kind of going back to the things that I really like, the characters. Um, some You have your kind of core party throughout the game. There are characters that... Um, are designed to be in your party as part of the story. And then there's a bunch of optional characters you can get. Um, in, in most cases, it's pretty much just as simple as talking to them and kind of a, I'm just gonna join you for the sake of it, <laughs> um, which felt a little forced, maybe a little rushed. And there was another character that I found that was a little bit more off the beaten path. It still was just a conversation, but you didn't really see them. There was a little trigger um, <clears throat> that you can kind of uh, initiate with the environment and then the character comes out and they join. So uh, definitely off the beaten path, a little hard to find. Uh, and then there was another character where I actually had to do a quest to enlist them in my group. And that was kind of cool. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of that. But uh, at a certain point in the game, you do have the ability. So for those optional characters that maybe didn't have a lot of dialogue in the main quest, uh, there are quests, um, I forget what they call them, but it's basically like a loyalty mission saying like, um, you know, Mass Effect or something like that with the, the characters that you have. It's like a loyalty mission. Um, you basically get like a, an extra color palette from beating that mission. That's the only real reward that I saw from it. Um, but they're fun. They give you a little bit more backstory on the character, um, you know, especially whenever it's completed. So it was, they're fun to do. Uh, but they're not required for the trophy. Um, I am curious. I think I may have a glitch trophy. It's the last one that I need to get. And that's kind of a bummer because um, I might not be able to get my platinum until I figure out what's going on with that trophy. Because um, there's a certain number of special moves I kind of have to do to get the trophy. And it's something that should have popped by the time I even beat the game, but it didn't. Um, so I'm trying to figure out now how I can get that in. I tried doing a little bit of grinding to, to get it done, and it still hasn't popped. So I'm thinking it might just be broken at this point. Um, so that kind of stinks. Maybe I might have to just start a new game and just try and focus on making sure that objective gets completed. It would be nice if there was a somewhere in the menus, like a stats section, um, because there are different things you can do. You know, you have like your, your blocks, perfect blocks, um, you know, could even have a counter for just how many battles you've been in, um, maybe how many times you've died. Like, I feel like there's, there's certain counters that they could put in there to kind of give you an idea how much damage you've done. Uh, cause this is a game where you're, uh, when you're in battle, it's, it's pretty fast paced. Um, each character has a certain number of actions they can basically do per turn and you can do a lot of combos with your characters. So, um, while one of your people are attacking, if you have the rhythm, um, you can kind of have two or more people attacking an enemy at the same time, juggling them, um, doing different different things, uh, you know, to, to beat them. Um, so I totally lost my train of thought with that. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, yeah, so it, it goes back to the stats page. Like, how much damage have I done total throughout the course of the game? Um, so if it, if it had that stats page, I could maybe see how many more of these special attacks I needed to do to get that trophy, essentially. So, um, 
maybe somewhere down the road they can add that in. But um, all in all, I love this game. Um, this is in calendar year 2019, strong contender for my game of the year. Um, just very few uh, the things I didn't like. Some of it feels a little nitpicky, and I guess it is. But, I mean, overall, giving a score, this game is a solid 9 for me. Nice. It's not perfect, but it's a really great game. If you love platforming, the, that Metroid-style exploration, backtracking, um, platforming, and there are some pretty, um, pretty. Uh, it's maybe not on the same level as Celeste, but some of the platforming sections are pretty challenging. Hmm. Um if something happens and you die during it, it's quick to get you right back to where you started. So it's not like long loading screens between deaths so you can get back to it. Try again. Um, so if you like the platforming stuff, if you like RPGs, you like big character rosters, vibrant characters, beautiful artwork, um, this game is an easy recommenda recommendation uh, for me. So Yeah, it sounds great. It's You had me at Michael Dorn in that <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, that, that pretty much took up my entire gaming this week. So normally this, you know, uh, me and Luke would talk about what games we were playing. That's really the only game I played this week. So why don't you tell me what you've been playing? So mostly this week, um, has been Destiny 2. Uh, so I have not touched this game since going through the Leviathan raid way back when. So this has been a long time. Um, they recently have dropped the Shadowkeep expansion, and along with the Shadowkeep expansion, they've given us a free-to-play-ish game. And I say ish because the Forsaken and Shadowkeeps you still have to purchase, so those expansions you're still going to have to buy. But the Curse of Osiris and Warmind are free with this uh, with this new update. The other thing that they did is um, the, uh, called the New Light, where basically whenever you're starting the game out now, is you're immediately starting at armor level 750. So you're coming into the game at the max of what year one was, 750. And then everything from there is just building you up to the new max, which is just over 900 now, I think, for your hmm. for your light level. Uh, so I've gotten back into that. I've actually just started the Curse of Osiris. This kind of heralds back to custom installation <laughs> because I come into this and like the world is scattered with things to do. I have no idea yeah. where to start. So I just was like, all right, I'll pick up the Curse of Osiris quest line and I'll just start following that along. Um, so far, it's it's Destiny. It's Destiny 2. I can see why people compared games to it for a long time because it's <laughs> kind of that, that you know, uh, uh, shooter MMO thing going on. But yeah. um, <clears throat> a lot of fun to play, a lot of new stuff to collect. I'm anxious to get uh, worked up a little bit more so I can get closer to that, that newer content because I hear... Uh, even with just Curse of Osiris, the storyline with that has kind of tied me back into the game. It's brought me back in. I'm, I'm involved with the characters. Um, really cool quest line so far. So I'm anxious to see if that continues into Warmind and if it's enough to get me to drop the $30 or so to get Forsaken and then the other $30 that I have to spend to get Shadowkeep. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, it's been Final Fantasy XIV Shadowbringers. And I'm usually a really positive guy. Uh, I have a lot of positive things to say about th about games, uh, even ones that don't typically get positive news, like No Man's Sky. Yeah. I was kind of always against the grain with that. I heralded it as my <laughs> game of the year for two years straight now. Yeah. Uh, still consider it one of the best games that has ever existed um, 
in the most recent game library and, and maybe even of all time. So I got to take a little bit of time to mull on that a little bit. But back to Final Fantasy XIV Shadowbringers. Um, you know, this this game, this this expansion really for Final Fantasy XIV was getting a lot of hype. And a lot of people uh, leading up to it was considering the previous one, Stormblood, uh, as not that great. Um, but I can tell you that now having made it through the entire main storyline of Shadowbringers, um, I'm not impressed with the plot whatsoever. It really was a huge flop for me. Um, other than my character, none of the other characters have really resonated with me at all. They've never really gotten me to be drawn into their plight very much. But what has been impressive about Shadowbringers has been the, um, the environments, each of the different map areas that you get into as you progress through the story. Uh, these areas in the first, uh, which is the, the, basically the alternate world that you visit in Shadowbringers, um, are incredibly detailed, incredibly beautiful, and just each of them has their own little nuance to it, where the first one that you start out with, you can just see how the light, which is kind of the enemy in this, the light has permeated through this forest. It's changed the leaf colors from, uh, you know, your typical greens to very vibrant purplish hues. Um, even into the next next zone, which is a desert, which is, you know, typically your desert areas are um, just kind of your trash areas. Uh, not very visually stunning or at all, but Amarang, uh, that second part, is, is incredibly beautiful. Um, and then you get into the Fey area, uh, kind of the fairy folk uh, portion of the game. Again, just stunning backdrop to your, uh, to your exploration through it. And then uh, after you get through that area, um, you move back through the desert, but then you get to a new region after that, uh, or rather it's the, um, um, we're kind of one of the, one of the big bads and I'll get into that here shortly. One of the big bads lives, uh, in a, in a town called Yulmore. The area around that, it's very bleak. You kind of get this sense of, uh, hopelessness that's involved with the place. So it really draws you in on that immersive. So again, another really great area. And then the, the final zone that you visit um, is basically an underwater zone. I don't want to get into too much details because some of it's plot related, so I'm not going to divulge much. But also involved with that zone is a um, um, something striking. I can tell you that the part, the part of that zone, uh, I think of all the game areas that I visited was just striking everything about it from music to visuals like it was and the detail involved with it and the lore that came along with visiting that area uh it's it it's perfect for what it is i just wish that the plot was meeting that kind of standard with it and along with those zones of course you have your dungeons and you have your trial fights which are big bosses and all of those within Shadowbringers are incredibly impressive as well and a lot of fun to play with different mechanics than what you're used to from previous expansions and, and of course, the core game. So there's a, a, a lot of really cool stuff going around the plot, but the plot itself for me is kind of a whole. And that's where I'll kind of go against the grain again because most people will have you think that Shadowbringers is, or some people will have you think that the Shadowbringers uh, quest line is the best Final Fantasy that has been ever made. That is definitely not the case. These are probably folks that think that Final Fantasy VIII is the best Final Fantasy <laughs> of the PlayStation era, which we all know is false. Um, <clears throat> so it's a, um, 
it is an expansion worth getting just for all the the extras that come along with it. Um, if you were, it, you know, and Adam, I know that you've said before that you you've been impressed with the Shadowbringers mm-hmm. plot line, so maybe you could have a little bit more to to say positive about it. But I think that it's everything else other than the plot that has been good about it. The side quests, the zones, the music, uh, the um, uh, the some of the lore that has popped up around it, but the plot itself has been a hole for me. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, uh, um, no, I from the start I've been higher on on the plot of this expansion than you have, but I will say it, I don't think it meets the hype or meets the um, the expectation that I saw from the review scores that it was getting. Mm-hmm. I, I do think that it falls a little below what, what I was seeing from that. Um, but, I mean, you're spot on. Like, the, the actual content, the the levels, the dungeons, the boss fights, like, everything's just fantastic. I'm not as far as you are in it. I'm uh, maybe about three quarters or so of the way, uh, somewhere in that vicinity. Um, Here's a spoiler alert. you still got a while to go where you're yeah. at. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> as, is, as is the case Um Pretty pretty lengthy quest lines um, with these expansions, but yeah, the music's great. Uh, man, that Raktika Greatwood, man, that that song slaps. Right, it really does. <laughs> it gets that chant going right at the beginning. Yeah. Like it repeats every time you get out of battle, but it's or every time you get out of a cutscene or something. But it's like, yes, it's this part again. Uh-huh. <laughs> you start singing with it. It's oh, it's, it's so good. It is. It's real good. <laughs> I I love that. Um, but yeah, I, I've enjoyed like from the minute I stepped foot into. The world and the sun's beaten down, and you're talking to the first NPC, and he's like, "What are you doing out at this this hour of night?" And I'm thinking to myself, "It's it's daylight though." Like, <laughs> and then you kind of get, you know, like you kind of understand what's going on, and the world is just in constant daylight, and you know, it doesn't sound like it'd be as oppressive as what it is, but then you sort of get a feel for what it's like for these, what these people have been going through the, for the past hundred years when all they've known is sunlight. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, so you're feeling their plate. You definitely yeah. feel their plate. Yeah. yeah. Um, cause I mean, I guess the, the only other sense you could get is if you lived in say like Alaska and you get what those 30 days or whatever of mm-hmm. constant sunlight and having it. I mean, just think about trying to go to sleep, you know, right. like, I'm not a day sleeper. I've never been, never really been one for naps in the day. Like I just, I want to sleep when it's dark. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's maybe why I kind of sympathize with those people a little bit um, and what they're going through. Cause I can't imagine going through my whole life, just always seeing light right. and not having that, that balance. And so, yeah, I kind of, kind of feel for those people and what they're, what they're going through. Um, yeah, it's definitely fun. I, I know I need to, to get back into it. But. Yeah, and I mentioned the the big bads, one of them being in this this town, Yulmore. Um, one thing about the plot that, you know, in Stormblood, I always got the idea that you knew exactly who you were going for. You knew who the big bad was. You knew what you had to do to get there to take them down. In Shadowbringers, you know what you need to do. The thing is, is that they never give you kind of this core big bad guy. Uh, you have a sense of who it may be. You have a sense that this person is bad, this person is bad, this person is bad, and you kind of have these three arcing trails that go to each of these each of these folks. So like you never get that one core who's really pulling the strings on this whole ordeal that's going down right now. Um, and it wasn't until uh, basically where I'm at now that you finally get a realization of who that is. Uh, even though it's pretty much, 
I guess you could say it's out in the open the entire time, but you know, the, um, I just like a little bit more, I guess you can say I like a little bit more linearity to who I'm going mm-hmm. after versus kind of this, this, uh, arcing path that we saw in, in Shadowbringers. Um, and then, yeah, the only other thing that I've been playing lately has been No Man's Sky. Um, a couple, what are we at now? Maybe a month, month and a half or something uh, back, they did their 2.0 update, the No Man's Sky Beyond. Uh, I know Luke has tried to coax me out of my Twitch hole to stream it. <laughs> and I want to, Luke. I, I want to. I'm coming, I promise. Uh, but the... Um, I play on PlayStation, and the reason I didn't stream it early on is because I know how No Man's Sky is at the beginning of their updates. They're buggy. They're very buggy. Uh, Things do not operate smoothly, and with PlayStation, whenever you get one of those blue screen crashes, the whole stream crashes. So Mm. it's very painful to try and stream them early on. Um, We're now on the 14th update since it was released. Uh, Just to kind of give you an idea with Hello Games and how they follow up a lot with their game, making sure that each individual issue that we come across as as No Man's Sky players, they will literally attack and fix as the game is is progressing through time. Um, most recently, the biggest thing that I've run into is during the next day update, um, which was a, a year or so back, uh, they introduced freighters. So I could have a large freighter where I could store a large amount of stuff. Um, my freighter was very, very buggy. I couldn't grow as many plants as what I used to grow. Uh, Power consumption was really wonky and weird, even though you know this thing has a hyperdrive on it, so you basically have infinite power, but I was still having power losses, things like that. From what I understand, in uh, maybe an update ago or the one previous to that, they kind of fixed that issue, so now I should be able to go in and farm as I need to. Uh, But No Man's Sky, if you haven't played it yet, play it get back into it if you have played it and you kind of <laughs> dropped it because of because of how the initial release went um, because there is a lot there and there literally is something for everyone and how your play style is so now if you're big on plot play so if you're big on story driven gameplay this is not a game to get into for story drive there is some underlying story and main questing and things like that that you will accomplish in it but it, you can really tell that it's kind of the backseat to what it really is, which is a full-blown exploration game. Um, think Minecraft in space with not as much of the um, unnecessary digging of dirt. Because every little bit of thing that you're gathering for yourself is useful in some way. Whether it's going through the technology tree or building yourself a base, improving your equipment, um, it's all useful for something. Uh, which is really nice. Which is a really nice aspect to it. And then, of course, there is the portion of it which I enjoy, enjoy, which is gathering particular materials that are used to create other materials or other items that are purely there for market value. So, if you want to make a whole bunch of money, you can build a farm, farm all that stuff, make a whole, manufacture a whole bunch of other pieces, and go off and sell it into the market and make a ton of money. So, like, it, it has these different aspects to it that. No matter what your gameplay style is, you're going to have something to do. Uh, Another big thing that they came out with on Beyond was the Nexus, which is now the new multiplayer hub. Uh, And basically what you have here is if you're a PC No Man's Sky player, you can have up to 24 people in your group that can just go off on a mass multiplayer mission. And if you're on the PlayStation or Xbox, you can get an eight-man group and go out and do missions. 
And now they've reintroduced back their special currency. So as you do these multiplayer missions with everybody, you're going to get their special currency that's going to give you things like different emotes, different outfits. Um, it's going to get you things that you can put into your base to decorate it. So a lot of just these little pieces that help you detail your, your experience a little bit more. And then um, multi-ship ownership. So I've got seven ships sitting in my hangar bay of my freighter all of them serve a different purpose so i have a uh i have a uh, freighter basically a freighter ship or a, a um oh man the word that i'm looking for kind of my my semi truck really uh so i use that to transport if i've got a bunch of goods that i got to move around between my between bases or something i've got that ship to go to I've got a fighter, I've got an exploration that gives me more hyperspace jump distance so I can go longer light years to longer distances. Um, you know, again, catering to whatever style of play that you want to get into with it. Not plot driven, but definitely gameplay driven. And it's got a ton of stuff for everybody and anyone to be able to do pretty much anything that you want to with it. Very open uh, and tons, tons and tons and tons and tons of stuff to discover. So if you go the scientist route, You've got plenty of stuff to discover, rename, uh, anything that you want it to be. And then, you know, if you're the, um, if you're the base builder, you have unlimited amount of bases that you can build. You can go to different planets and build different type of bases. You can build underwater bases. You can build towers. There's people that, that have built cities. Um, me, I'm just a simple one, two, three modules, hook it up to power, get something going and then peace out. But there's folks that have built some pretty impressive structures with the base building capabilities, and that has been improved upon now as well with the updates that or the patches that they've done over the course of time here. Uh, but yeah, really great one, Luke. I do want to get back online with it, and I'm coming, man. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> and it's good to see that um, you know as as much as this game totally like just crashed and burned in the public eye when it came out that it's able to. Uh, find new life and just keep chugging mm -hmm. and uh, you know I know they've had a very steady player base like even all those that have jumped ship uh, they've had a nice player base that has stuck with them through the whole thing including yourself mm -hmm. um, so it's nice that you know a game launching as a disaster isn't necessarily a death sentence like it used to be like on uh, older consoles where the game that shipped that was it yeah. so um, it's good to see that there's still uh, progression that can be made for uh, basically any game and I mean Indivisible great game um, you know they're going to be supporting that with uh, some DLCs some extra characters coming in I know Shovel Knight's going to be a playable guy uh, so you're going to see some crossover from other games it's going to be super exciting so uh, it's nice to see um, developers continuing to support games after and and all for free too like those updates you're talking about those were from Hello Games those were free updates yes, so they were. Um, very uh, consumer friendly uh, support that they're doing so um any other games you want to talk about uh the only thing i've been playing is cities but i'm not going to bore you guys with that one it's basically <laughs> just a city 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 simulation um that's about it that's all i've really been digging into so sounds yeah. good so we will uh call it a week with that um for those uh our last week our question of the week was tell us an obscure game that you've played before um, I don't have all the results on that, so we'll wait till next week to, to go through those. So y'all have another week to think about it. Give us your answers. Um, you know, can I talk about mine? Sure, if you want. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, my answer to that was Korea. Um, <clears throat> that game is a two D sandbox. If you've ever played Terraria, 
it's basically the exact same thing yeah. except what they do is they add in RPG aspects. So like if you're a swordsman, you'll up you'll update and gain experience with your sword and you'll be able to level that up and get more powerful using swords. If you're a magic user, the same type of thing. So as you're going through and you're doing the same type of thing as what you do in Terraria, digging the ground up, getting materials, building bases, getting better equipment, along with that comes a level up ability, um, which is which has been really cool. And I know that they've just recently had an update, uh, adding in more stuff and 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 uh, you know more immersive environments. I haven't gotten back into it just yet, but I think that'll be my obscure game of the week. Um, because it's not as well known as Terraria, yeah. Minecraft, mm-hmm. even you know, um, yeah, but yeah, Starbound I think is another one yeah. too. Uh, but that would be my obscure. Yeah, that's a solid choice. Yeah. So um, Luke and I will will uh, tell you all ours next week, and then um, whenever we compile any of the other results. So again, if you haven't uh, given us your answer, uh, make sure to get it out to us. Uh, hit us up on social media uh, or at the email, um, which I'm not. I don't remember what that is at this time. Uh, sorry, Luke. Um, so, uh, Stephen, thanks for being on the show and talking with me uh, this week while Luke's away. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, so, I am on Twitter at, uh, at LordlyKingSDOT, if I remember correctly. Um, and that's probably the easiest place to find me. I'm also on Instagram uh, underneath, uh, you know, what is my Instagram handle? Holy cow. <laughs> While you're pulling that up, I'm, of course, uh, available on Twitter at AdamPalooza85, so uh, you can reach me there if you have any sort of discussion about games or non-gaming-related stuff. So, so yeah, uh, LordlyKingSDOT on both uh, uh, Instagram and Twitter. You'll be able to find me there. And I'm also on Twitch underneath the same handle, though I'm not, like, streaming all the time, so bear that in mind whenever you drop that follow, but always appreciated. And thanks for having me. Yep. All right. That was fun. Yep, that's all we got for this week. So uh, thanks everyone for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time.